Welcome back to Brooklyn's and this edition of The Track. My name's Tim Morris. In March, Steve Clark hosted his last members talk after seven years. It was a great evening featuring uh, former McLaren F1 chief mechanic Neil Trundle. We'll hear from Neil a bit later. But first, Steve talks to Julian Grimwade about his time as the talk's organiser. Okay, Steve, I've, uh, we're sitting here having a cup of coffee in the, in the Brooklyn's clubhouse, um, having enjoyed last night a wonderful interview with Neil Trumbull of McLaren fame and other car outfits, and it marks the end of your tenure as organising the talks programme for Brooklyn's members. It certainly does. Um, are you going to miss it? Uh, you'll, I will miss things. I'll miss a lot of the camaraderie of the members friendship that I've built up with them and that's been the really enjoyable part of it. There are difficult things that go along with uh, organising the talks but on the whole it's been very pleasurable. Of course I'll miss some of it for sure. But you brought it on in the seven years that you ran it from uh, the occasional speaker to a really regular yeah, of a we, lot of really big names. Yeah. How did, you, how did you start? How did you get into it first Well you've got to remember that the Talks program, not in its current form, has been running for many years. It goes way back to the Brooklyn Society and the Friends, and in fact, the talks used to be held in uh, Weybridge Town Hall, um, but you know, morphed into where they are now over a good number of years. Um, uh, my colleague Angela Hume ran them for a good many years before I decided to take them on, and I just had the vision to expand them. Um, there was a unwritten rule that talks had to have some relevance to Brooklyn's and the museum well after a number of years that just becomes too difficult to maintain uh, and the variety of subject dries up so I thought right okay you know we've got an iconic um, place um, steeped in history and uh, let's use that to attract some big names so what I try to do is divide it up into uh, obviously a motorsport theme uh, motorcycle aviation uh, transport, just general interest and we've had a huge variety of people um, and the the more we've grown and the more popular it's got and our reputation has grown so we've had people that have been really pleased to be with us um, and I think that was the start of something rather special. So it's a kind of snowball effect, once it gains momentum then it attracts more yeah, and, names. And yeah and we became more professional in the way that we ran it, we bought some f- far more sophisticated equipment because a lot of these um, people that you invite along it, expect it to be good they're putting their reputation on the line by turning up, you can't have some dodgy sound system working that's going to pack up, although we did, we did for a good many days. years <laughs> Um, but you know we've overcome that we now dress the room accordingly so it all adds to the ambience and, and the evening and it's whether we like it or not it's something called entertainment yeah. and that's basically it's not a talk we're here to entertain but you've also built a, a regular attendance of audiences of, from different spectres you know the motorbikers come the car people yeah, come the plane yeah, people come so absolutely. it's a tremendous addition to the, the members benefits yeah and, and it it I guess what it's done has allowed a number of us to uh, to get far more involved, um, which has been good. Uh, we've driven the audience participation up uh, from probably a handful uh, that used to turn up, and we're constantly now exceeding or coming up to the 
the mm. limit of 250 people. Sometimes in the room. you go over. I mean, I remember the 30s one. We took yeah, we uh, we massive. forgot to turn the ticketing machine off <laughs> when we had John 30s, and uh, we sold about 350 tickets, which puts into a complete panic. Um, and we had to migrate over to Mercedes-Benz World. Um, the atmosphere wasn't the same, but fabulous interview with John and Simon Taylor. Yeah. Um, and from that point on, it really, it really did. And we had to use Mercedes again when um, I negotiated to get Agostini, Giacomo Agostini, in, which was just—I had to pinch myself when I'm sitting next to. Well, that was a major coup. Yeah, wasn't it? You major got, coup. You got him here. You got him for a motorbike day. He, he yeah, he was he here was for available a, all day. Yeah, he, he was here for an Italian car day. And the man was just remarkable, and everything people had said about him was true. Very hospitable, very um, easygoing, just a lovely man. Um, and we sat afterwards uh, and just chatted in the fire there about life in general. And I thought, you don't have to answer this outright, but are there any favourites you've had, or are there? Um, yeah, I mean, there's got to be. Although I don't like to um, kind of put them into pockets and categories, but. Um, Captain Eric Winkle Brown for me uh, was the jewel in the crown. Yeah, it was, it was quite moving, tw- wasn't it? Uh, a man of ninety plus, probably the greatest aviator this part of the century has seen. He stood there for an hour and three quarters, no notes, recalling his life in the uh, well about flying ever since he was a young lad, and it, and he was just he had the audience just hanging on every word and then he came back uh, for a second time um, and this time we kind of gave him a bit more entertainment and uh, he flew the Concorde simulator uh, under the Golden Gate Bridge which was lovely (laughs) Uh, but he did say of course I have flown the real thing you know as he would do and uh, we were walking back across the uh, aircraft park and I think uh, Martin Strict had the sop with camel out and uh, I said to uh, Eric, they don't make them like that anymore. And his comment was, yeah. thank God. <laughs> um, others, uh, Tony Brooks was another, a, a complete gentleman. Uh, Simon interviewed him, local man, um, very, very meek and mild. Just a fabulous interview. Um, I've just so many, Julian, it's yeah. difficult to, uh, to, to pull those out. And of course, I said, Agostini. John Surtees was just wonderful. Could go on forever. Yeah. But you mentioned there um, Simon Taylor, and you've obviously had some help from some, should we say, professionals in the field. Yeah. People like Simon and Steve Cropley from Autocar. Yeah. They've been a great help to you. Yeah. I mean, Simon Taylor in particular, because he was probably one of our best authors, commentators, journalists um, over the years. He was BBC's... um, uh, radio Formula One correspondent for many years and in fact he covered the radio broadcast when James Hunt won the championship from uh, Fuji uh, back in the day um, and I always had the greatest respect and admiration for Simon and you know he was the voice of Goodwood, Mr Goodwood for a good many years and um, I invited him to come down here and engaged him to do a talk and I thought you know if re- We've really hit gold with this guy. Yeah, well, so um, Simon and Steve have both been huge supporters of Britain. Yeah, they have. Um, and Cropley, Steve Cropley, has introduced new things like we had a um, an alternative um, uh, 
Propulsion Day, Electric Car Day, and Steve has got his finger on the pulse of, of motor industry and just brings so much to it. And he's such a laid back guy. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the number of people he's, he's met, including Enzo Ferrari and, and such like, is just, but he's incredibly modest with it, which I love. But there's one thing that surprised me, and I've been to, I wouldn't say all of the talks, but certainly the vast majority of the talks. All the people we've had have been a delight. They've, they've been nice to talk to, easy to deal with on the whole. Yeah, we've had one or two that have been a bit difficult. Um, uh, but the, the thing is, uh, no one we've booked has failed to turn up for whatever reason. We've had some late arrivals kind of five minutes before. Yeah. Uh, and we had James Hunt's son here, which caused us a little bit of aggravation because... He was determined to have a cigarette before he sat down on well, stage. Well, he was just his dad, but smaller, he was, wasn't he? He was the old man personified. Yeah. It was scary. But going back to, um, you know, uh, good things, good events attract good people. Um, and no one has been difficult. Um, everyone has wanted to be here. You haven't had to persuade people to come along. And the other great exponent, and I, I haven't mentioned is Steve Parrish, uh, Parrish um, was BBC commentator for MotoGP for a good many years and his sidekick Charlie Cox and um, I engaged Steve to just talk and come and be himself and uh, we we sold full sell out on, for the evening mm. and he must have been back with me probably a dozen times now and he's brought in the very best well the biggest motorcycles. names in biggest, yeah, I mean, unbelievable. Carl Fogarty Guinness, Jamie Hallam, um, I, and the names just go on. And it, it, you know, it's always with him. It's always very relaxed atmosphere. Uh, can be a bit edgy. Um, fun, you mean? Fun, yeah, fun. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, he, he, he's just got a way with people. He's a fantastic interviewer, um, and but he's just great fun. And uh, we've become good friends. So the amazing thing out of it is that um, yeah, I've I, I've. I've got to know people very well, and that's been part of the byproduct of. Yeah, uh, uh, must be enjoyable. Part it, of it, it is, well. it is. But you know, the most enjoyable bit about it is when you've got a hundred, two hundred odd people in the room. Um, you're lapping up the atmosphere, yeah. and you're there for them. They're there to be entertained, yeah. and that's that's really what it's about. And of course, it. it, it you need help you have people around you and you've built a team over the years yeah you can't do anything on everything like that on your own um got a group of people that to the weird thing about it and i guess it's product of what we've done the more successful you become the more difficult it is to build so we now live stream so we've effectively got a mini tv studio uh that we have to set up uh each time we do the talk um, to go out on YouTube so we've kind of grown and the team that of course has to be present to build and then break the set down afterwards is as important as anything yeah. else because without that you've not created and the anything. online stuff looks like it's going to have a strong future and it was kind of forced upon us by the, the, the shutdown yeah we did a lot of Zoom interviews which were a little bit different um, but nevertheless it got us into how you conduct things online um, we then bought equipment to, to actually live stream um, and it is to a degree the future it, it's not going to replace it it complements no. it because no. you know we, we look at the membership here at the museum and I guess we're awfully concentric for, for Surrey, Kent so that sort of area 
but you know people are worldwide that belong to this yeah. organisation and they can't travel or you know they don't want to travel miles to get here so the live stream gives them a real time opportunity yeah, I mean, the talk thing is aimed at being a member's benefit but the spin off of the live stream means it can go worldwide yeah and I'm, I, I, it's anywhere. quite yeah it's quite interesting that others of uh, other organisations have t- tried to create what we've created and failed yeah um, and I think it's part due to the fact we've got a very enthusiastic membership who obviously rise to the occasion uh, but also we've we've made it uh, professional enough that people want to engage yeah you know so uh, but it's a continual process and uh, Harry Sherrard who's taking over from me to run it uh, will take it to the next level yeah you know and that's the way things go um, I shall be still standing on his shoulder <laughs> <laughs> okay Steve well thanks for that um, and thanks for all you've done in the last seven years for Brooklyn's members and the talks program it's, um, it's been a total joy to, yeah, to be in watch uh, and be involved it's been a pleasure especially last night for the final evening thank you for all your help and uh, I'd like to say it's been a pleasure well, you'll be forever known as Captain Concrete I will no sun will shine in my day today no sun will shine the high yellow moon Marley and the Whalers with Concrete Jungle. There may be no uh, jungles at Brooklands, but there is plenty of concrete. And that is the explanation why uh, Steve Clark is known as Captain Concrete. And here he is talking to Neil Trundle, 
the former McLaren F1 chief mechanic, about his early days with local racing teams. Now, you're a self-confessed Essex boy, aren't you? Oh, I certainly am. I, I used to talk like that. But you could do with a bit of persuasion, couldn't you? <laughs> um, but you started an apprenticeship with Fords. Yep. Which you I, got your first taste of motorsport. Tell us more. Yeah, so uh, I did a five-year apprenticeship in the trade school, which, uh, like Rolls-Royce apprenticeship, was one of the best in England. And um, I did okay. I did three years at the trade school, and, um, and then I moved out into the foundry and the forge plant, um, but I started to... I, my interest in racing started on mo- two wheels and motorbikes, and my wife and I, who's here tonight, supporting me, um, we used to go to Brands Hatch, and I remember seeing Mike Haywood, and bikes were my love. But then I started follow, following cars, and whilst I was at Ford's, East Anglian Racing were operating a semi-works Anglia team, Ford Anglia team, club racing. And Roger Taylor was the son of one of the directors. And so lots of um, parts came through the prototype tooling that I was working in. I was in Dunton Research from day one, first in the door we were. And I was a Turner toolmaker fitter. And lots of bits used to come through for those race cars. (laughs) So I followed the racing and I thought, this that, is your future. Yep, and I wanted to be a race driver. That was, in fact, most of them, lots of the mechanics that I've known over the years have always fancied themselves as race drivers. In fact, some of them made it as race drivers. Sure. So your next move, and I'm fascinated to how you finished up in the leafy lanes of Surrey uh, okay. with the Allen Man Racing Organisation. Yeah, so um, I, I was building, um, I built a monoposto car, um, single-seater, to go racing with. And, um, in fact, I had a Lotus 11 on the road before that, and I swapped it with a guy named Reg Gubbins. That's a nice name. name. Reg Gubbins, Essex boy in Raynham. I swapped it for this Lotus 18 Formula Junior, and I I raced it a couple of times. But uh, during that time, a a friend of mine, Ray Tunney, who's listening in tonight, um, Ray Tunney who was also an apprentice, and he went into the drawing office side. His passion was racing as well. We would go rallying and do all-night rallies. We'd we'd work all day, rally all night, and and work all the next day, no sleep. He left Fords and got a job at um, Cooper Cars. Of course. And uh, with John Rhodes on the minis. And um, a few months after that, he rang me up and he said, Alan Mann are recruiting. Um, Why don't you come for an interview? So I came down to Surrey, and I got the job straight away, and I told Dad I'm leaving home. I was 23, so I wasn't young, but um, so I didn't have anywhere to live. Uh, I arrived at Alan Man, and they were building the beautiful F3L, which was a fantastic sports car. Mm -hmm. Um, I came in with my little... um, uh, small toolboxes, and these guys had great big listers, you know. Or, or with Size matters. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I worked all day, and we did an all-nighter, my first day there. Remind everyone, or some that don't know, just a very quick snapshot of Alan Mann Racing Organisation and who was driving at the time. So they were in uh, Oyster Lane. Um, Clive Wharton, who was here tonight, he was working there. Um, Frank Gardner was the driver. Big Frank Gardner. Yeah. 
who used to walk tippy-toe and was a great character. He drove the Escorts, he drove the F3L, they built the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang there, they built yeah. the Doppelganger. So I went to the door as a fitter mechanic. They were always such well-turned-out cars Beautiful. as well. Beautiful. Yeah, lovely colour scheme. Yeah. Head of his time, supported. really. Yeah, and um, supported by Fords. Hmm. So the next port of call was a um, cold call to Brabham's. Right. Waylock so Works. Yeah. And you encountered one Ron Torinac. <laughs> yes. I'd only been at Alan Man six months and they started to lay people off. Uh, as it turned out, Alan was grinding it down and he took Ford's money and started Alan Man Helicopters. So yeah. he folded the company. Um, so I walked down the road, walked into Ron Torinac's office. What? Asked the secretary, walked in and met Ron, sit down. Yeah, what can I do for you? I'd like a job. Do you want to do a Ron Tornak accent? Yep, and I said I'd like to be a race mechanic, and he said, only good race mechanics are Australians and New Zealanders. <laughs> he said, but you can go in the production shop. So I started building production race cars. But every night I would slip into the F1 shop where Ron Dennis was a mechanic, and I would work till midnight on the cars for no extra money. The first meeting and the, with uh, Ron Dennis really map things for the future, which... Uh, well, it did. We went to Zandvoort um, because there was a problem with the engine. I flew out on Jack's plane. I'd never flown before. I was feeling pretty ill for the first hour of the flight, uh, but I fell asleep and woke up in Zandvoort. And uh, interestingly, we used to drive the cars from the garage in the town out to the circuit. But my first real encounter with Ron was that um, we'd worked all night and... Um, I was asked to put the clutch back on. I never worked on these race cars, but you know, a clutch is a clutch. And I put the clutch aligned it all in. And I had cleaned it all out like Ron is used to. And he said, we don't do things like that at Brabham's. And I said, how'd you like a smack on the nose? <laughs> and and from, you've never looked back since, no, have from, you? <laughs> from then on, we're best mates. We'd, we'd socialise and, uh, yeah. Great story. Times at Brabham's, yeah. So let's move to 1971 yep. and the birth of Rondell Racing. Okay, so um, Ron and I were um, on the F1 team and um, I also did uh, Indianapolis, uh, 69 and uh, 70. And um, so end of 1970, Jack decided to retire. In fact, arguably he should have won the championship but mm. for two failures. One was Monaco, where on the last corner he ran in the barriers Barrier. with Rent hard on his tail and Brands when he ran out of fuel, which Ron got the blame for, but it turns out it wasn't Ron. I went to Jack's uh, 80th birthday party in Australia. Pam and I went. And um, Nick Guse sent a letter and he said, by the way, Jack, it wasn't Ron. He said, I set the metering unit in the wrong position. It used too much fuel. All those years and Ron took the... <laughs> the brunt of that but at least he accepted it so that was he did accept good. it yeah perfect so at the end of 70 um jack retired and i went back to essex to finish my formula ford that myself and a colleague john field were building and uh, ron had thought i can do this as well as brabham's so he rang me up came to see me and he said i think we can start a race team together but Ron was all about image then, wasn't he? He was, but he was, he was 
very, he could see in the future, you know, he was very ambitious. Uh, but everything had to be right, yes. So we set up Rondell. We had no money at all. We lived with um, Ron's parents, rent-free, no food, didn't pay them a penny for a year. Um, we did have a sponsor, Tony Vlasopoulos, who sadly passed away last year, um, a Greek shipping guy. He didn't put a fortune in, but he backed us. Um, we got engines from Bernie Ecclestone, um, in fact, we picked up the engines, um, two engines, uh, because Graham Hill also said, uh, Schenken and I, let's do two car team. And, um, but we didn't pay Bernie for them and we got a phone call, a bit of a threatening phone call, so we quickly paid Bernie. <laughs> so in 73, um, you started to look at the prospect of a Rondell F1 car. Yep, so um, Ron was ambitious over-ambitious, uh, I mean, he was a shaker and mover, but he was a bit over-ambitious. We, we uh, kind of overstepped ourselves in 73. We, we went from two cars to three cars to eventually five cars, and we were running a sports car, we were building our own chassis, and we started to build what was going to be the Rondell F1 car. Yeah. But that was the fuel crisis then, three-day week, and we lost our sponsors. We lost Motul, uh, we, Domek Sherry were going to come on board, and uh, Tony Vesopoulos said, I can't float the, the business any longer. Um, at our workshop, we had a new workshop in Feltham, which was spotless. It had a tile floor partitioning. It was, it was F1 standard. Or beyond. Or beyond, yeah. And so we folded, and Graham Hill took it over for his F1 team. Tony Vesopoulos took the F1 car, the, uh, what became the token. So the token was Tony Vesopoulos and Ken Grob became the token. We went into a little workshop in Hersham. Halfway. Yeah. Uh, two of us, Chris Lewis and myself, and Ray Jessup, the designer, we had lots of helpers, including my father now and again, Pam came down and fed us night and day. We didn't leave the workshop for th three weeks and we entered the Silverstone Dalek's Best Trophy with the car with Tom Price. Chris Meek sponsored Tom, he bought the engine. That was our F1 car, the token. It's a lovely little car, still running now in well, historics. At some point you realised you wanted to move on to development yep. um, and you went to Tyrrell. Yep, so I was worn out. So uh, I rang Ken and I went down there and I said I'd like to do prototype work and started at Tyrrell. A fantastic team. Happy year. So I went there in um, uh, 74 and I did 74, 75 and 76. And they were great, great days. Um, I was involved in building the six-wheel Tyrrell. In fact, I was the sort of project manager we took a 007 and we cut the front off, and Derek Garner designed all the steering. And it, was, it wasn't any quicker than the 007, but it certainly made the press. Certainly did. And we it? did the launch at London and covered yeah. the front wheels, and when we pulled the cover off. Best kept secret in motor racing. But the rumour is true, you were the first person to drive it? I was, yeah. So uh, once we launched it, um, we needed to do all the brake balancing and uh, check the brakes out and our drivers were elsewhere racing. So um, 
Ken said, you've got a racing license. He said, you can test it. So my mechanics that I work with had to be my race mechanics on the day. I bet they loved that. Great. <laughs> and I was determined not to spin it, but I came down on about the 10th time and did a spin turn and I lost it. And they all cheered. Brooklyn's News. We're getting to the end of uh, the second series of Secrets of the Transport Museum on Yesterday Channel. Um, but you can catch up with uh, Series 1 and 2 on UK TV Play. And on the same subject uh, of Secrets of the Transport Museum, you can see some of the people that were featured in that in special events during Easter on the 7th, 14th and 21st at 1pm. Meet the stars. The event season is hotting up at Brooklands with uh, several events this month. On the 10th, we've got the London Bus Museum's Spring Gathering. On the 14th, we have a members event in the evening, which features the amazing Dr. Gardner, who was the honorary Brooklands physician. Then on the 16th, we have the Easter Gathering. You can expect uh, hundreds of classic vehicles on that occasion. Then uh, the following week, the 24th, it's the British Marks Day. It's all those famous British names, uh, including MG, Triumph, Singer, Riley and more, will be at the museum on that day. And we end the month on the 30th with the Italian Car Day. So expect plenty of Ferraris and Lamborghinis for that one. And during the Easter holidays, 2nd to 24th of April, it's the Easter Family Fun bring the youngsters there's plenty for them to see and do especially put on for them at the museum all details are on brooklandsmuseum.com thanks for listening 